Welcome to Season 2 of Ing Podcast, a production of Menno Media's Leader Magazine. What does it mean to authentically follow Jesus? Each week, Ing Podcast invites you to join us on a journey. Join us as we talk with people of faith who are creatively thinking, growing, and being. People who are reimagining and exploring what it means to enrich faith in a complex world. Voices Together has so influenced my academic work. Trying to break down a classical popular hierarchy, something we see so often in academic circles, in any circle where music is present. This is kind of classical is best mindset. Four-part harmony is best. We are four-part singers. That's the kind of the true Mennonite song. And with Voices Together, we wanted to break that down and include a whole range of popular idioms including contemporary worship music, gospel, jazz, camp songs, um, folk music, etc. Our conversation begins now. Join us as we journey together. Friends, welcome back to Ing Podcast. We're so glad that you are here with us today. I have a guest here with me today, Annalie Leptison, who is um, really someone who has a lot of different uh, aspects of who they are. I'm learning as we are talking off mic, and I'm excited to have this person here with us today. Um, Annalie was one of the folks who helped put together the incredible Voices Together hymnal project and um, is a, a person who is really interested in the intersection of uh, gender and music and uh, worship music and how that all fits together. We've got a lot of good stuff to talk about here on this episode, and I'm really excited to have you here with us, Annalie. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. For those who don't know you, um, I'm excited to have a fellow Canadian on the podcast. Um, but how do you introduce yourself to uh, folks who you might be meeting? Sure. Yeah, I am currently coming to you from Ottawa, Ontario, where I'm doing my PhD um, in interdisciplinary music research, really looking at music and gender and worship uh, and how those interact, specifically looking at contemporary worship music uh, as an industry and what women's roles in that industry are and how they are um, thriving and limited in that um, in that space. Uh, before this, I was living in Winnipeg, uh, doing my undergrad at Canadian Mennonite University, so I have mm. a soft spot for the prairies. Yeah. Um, and I'm originally from Kitchener-Waterloo, Ontario, so uh, again, hitting up some good Canadian Mennonite hubs. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I um, had an amazing, I, I always say working on Voices Together was the most formative life experience I've ever had. Um, and so happy to talk about that for the rest of my life <laughs> um, uh, and lots of lots of um, important work that went into that collection that's worth kind of unpacking if you haven't listened yet uh, I would really encourage us all to go back and check out the episode that we did during season one of ing podcast with a couple of the folks collaborators who helped put together um, the voices together project we'll talk a little bit about that here now as well how did you get connected with voices together and um, and what did that experience look like for you yeah I I applied like most of us did they opened applications in must have been 2016 or in that zone um, and so I still have it on my computer and it's kind of funny to look back at what I I, I said going into the project and how what I would say now about the project uh -huh. um, really kind of 
was so transformative. Yeah, so my role on the committee was I was co-chair of the Popular Idioms Committee, which is essentially co-chair of a group that was looking at um, things like contemporary worship music. Um, Mm. And that was a really, really awesome experience to go through such high quantities of contemporary worship music and look at the congregational lens and say, like, how would this look on the page? How would this sing um, in a in a congregation theologically, how does this fit with our Anabaptist um, thinking? And, and so that was, that was really, really valuable. I also was on the worship resources committee and the tune and accompaniment committee. So had my fingers in a couple different areas of the collection, wow. um, which was, which was really great to kind of get the big picture. Um, and then I have a few compositions in it. Um, I especially love working with, expansive images of God, which is good for Women's History Month. So one of them is um, a collaboration with another committee member that really looks at, it's called God Lights a Lamp and, and the parable of the woman and the, the lost coin and, and mm-hmm. kind of portraying God as, as the woman looking for the coin. Anyways, so lots of different areas wow. of development and experiences, and it was just so, so life-giving. It kind of kick-started my interest in women in music because we continue to notice a lack of women who are especially writing um, tunes. There were more women who wrote texts for hymns than there were women who wrote tunes. Um, And so that was really interesting to kind of need to be intentional about looking at women's compositions and wanting to make sure that we had, especially Anabaptist women, but really any women who have written um, hymn tunes, making sure that they got a fair shot at being considered for voices together. Yeah. I want to talk more about um, the inclusion of women in this project, but uh, I, I'm struck too with this inclusion of contemporary uh, worship music in, in a hymnal project. Uh, I think when our minds think of worship hymnals, we often, especially those of us who are a part of the Mennonite tradition, would probably immediately assume it's going to be mostly four-part harmony um, Swiss German hymns, right? Or mm-hmm. hymns that have come from other traditions, but sung primarily with those four parts. Um, our, our previous iterations of the hymnal would have some international flavor as well, but but relatively little music that would be considered contemporary worship music. Um, but I do remember the uh, Voices Together folks that I spoke with last year talking about um, as they surveyed the landscape of Mennonite Church USA in Canada, they realized just how diverse our music had become since the last hymnal project. And um, this inclusion, I'm, I'm curious how it felt for you to be sort of tasked with bringing something in that really hadn't existed in, in the way that it's featured in Voices Together. Did it feel, was there some nervousness from your uh, part of, of being tasked with that, knowing that it's not been uh, something we've done really in this way before? Yeah, it, honestly, it was such a life-giving task to receive because I, one of the churches I grew up at was a church plant that did primarily contemporary worship music. And so I learned early on how to have that, that became a a, a kind of heart song for me, like the songs Mm. that were life-giving for me were contemporary worship music. And so that felt just really energizing to be able to get to bring um, into the hymnal. I think one of the things that we see is that um you know it hasn't been in previous hymnals but that doesn't mean that Mennonites have just started singing contemporary worship music right um, and so you know one of the tasks of voices together was to try to really accurately 
um, as much as possible, reflect the, the Mennonite musical landscape around us. And, and yeah. in doing that, we see that um, congregations have been singing contemporary worship. Congregations worshiping in other languages have been singing contemporary worship music. And so it's it's only fitting that we would include that as like a major expression of song in the hymnal. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, that was, we were pretty much mandated with that from the beginning. And so that felt like a natural a natural process to include. And it's been really, really exciting to work with congregations in adopting voices together. Um, those who are excited to see that songs they've been singing forever are included in the hymnal as contemporary worship songs. And those that are excited to try something new. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're just, yeah, we're really glad that it's reflecting what folks are singing and that it's offering a way for, for people for who this is new to try something, to try something new. Oh, I love that. Um, yeah, so shifting now a little bit to this idea of being more uh, inclusive from a gender standpoint, um, not only is that a powerful posture to begin with, but uh, the time uh, over which you put together the Voices Together project featured things like the Me Too movement and um, and even, even more relevantly to religious music a few significant scandals featuring abuse by uh, music creators and and some intentional decisions to take music out that had been selected when certain things, certain um, moments came to light. Um, can you talk about uh, the experience of, of all of that? That just feels like a lot to carry <laughs> um, as you're putting together a massive project to also be uh, having this heightened awareness. Yeah, it was certainly complicated and um, needed a lot of attention and care to think about how we how we navigate what goes on when a, a, a song that's implicated in in a situation of abuse was slated to be in Voices Together. And I I would just so um, intensely credit our editors with the care mm-hmm. that went into that process. Um, that was something that certainly the whole committee carried, but they really. Um, um, did the hard work of, of navigating that situation. And they did it so, so well um, and consulted so effectively and, and mm. considered so many perspectives. And so just, you know, a, a massive thank you to our editors for the way that they handled these situations. But for all of us, um, it's it was tough. Like in the months before we were um, pretty much getting ready to send voices together to print, it came to light that one of the... Um, composers who songwriters who was really well represented um had been involved in sexual abuse throughout his whole ministry um ha- had been a, an abuser had been um and so it was really complicated to figure out what to do um with that because these were songs that were so loved by the church yeah. um, and that's something that we take really seriously like we talk a lot about heart songs um, and in our whole Voices Together process, if, if a song was really, really well loved by the church, it was kind of like a, like you didn't question that. Like that was a song yeah. that probably should go in the collection. Um, and so it was hard when we found out that those songs were implicated in, in this really awful behavior um, and experience. And so, but we had really, really awesome people that we consulted with. Um, and ultimately, I think we knew that, that, these things make a difference. Like when we're publishing voices together, we're choosing to amplify certain voices and those voices need to be ones that we can stand behind. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and, and we of course cannot stand behind someone whose ministry has been 
has been full of, of this awful behavior. Yeah. And we then need to align ourselves with survivors of abuse. Uh, and that, that was really intentional. And if we're choosing someone to align ourselves with, it's going to be survivors. And so, um, um, that, that came together and I was really pleased with how that process came together as difficult and heart wrenching as it was that we were able to remove these songs um, and include some others that are really wonderful replacements um, and, and, and not perpetuate the inclusion of songs that, that we don't want to, we don't want to be elevating the voice of the, of the composer or songwriter. So it was super tough. Um, but, and, and I know a lot of congregations are continuing to wrestle with this. Can we Mm -hmm. sing these songs or can we not sing these songs? Um, and I, I just think it's complicated and it's worth wrestling with. Um, and there are, I'll point to the voices together website where there's a, a document called show strength, um, how to respond when, um, worship resources are implicated in, in abuse. Um, and, and you can, you can find that and that, is a really helpful kind of discussion guide for, for considering what to do about these songs. So definitely recommend checking Mm -hmm. that out. Some of it has to do with awareness. Um, but you know, I, I would, I would imagine there are churches out there still singing these songs, totally oblivious to the stories behind them. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and yet I really love and think it's, um, so commendable to be survivor centered in the posture that was chosen and, um, yeah, it seems seems very significant. Mm-hmm. Today's episode is brought to you in part by two graduate programs at Eastern Mennonite University. The Center for Justice and Peacebuilding and Eastern Mennonite Seminary offer graduate degrees, certificates, and other professional development opportunities. Join us to expand your skills, challenge your mind, and feed your spirit. Eastern Mennonite Seminary is grounded in the Anabaptist values of community, service, sustainability, peacebuilding, and discipleship. We invite you to participate in God's movement and discern together how to lead communities to embody Christ in the world. At the Center for Justice and Peacebuilding, you will learn with people working towards a more just and less violent world. You will become adept at interrogating systems, understanding the causes of violence and injustice, and responding to them. Learn more about how we can be a part of your journey by visiting emu.edu slash ing. We'd like to thank Leota E. Mann of Freeport, Illinois, for being a generous donor to Menno Media. Leota is part of Menno Media's 2022 Provident Giving Society a group of generous supporters who provide foundational resources so Menno Media can always pursue mission over profit in a very competitive publishing environment. If you enjoy the content provided by In Podcasts and other Menno Media materials, please consider donating and supporting our work today at www.menomedia/donate. So maybe this is an unfair question for someone who's been a part of a project this large, but I, I, I recognize that you're in a unique spot studying music while having already completed a project like this. And I'm wondering, as you continue your studies in this very um, important field, are there things that you wish you 
would have done differently or, or notes that you've made for the next time, perhaps, that you're invited to be a part of a project like this, given the, the research and the work that you are involved with? Well, one of the reasons, I mean, Voices Together has so influenced my academic work in yeah. many, many ways. Um, one of the the things that's been energizing, and this kind of goes back to our conversation around the inclusion of contemporary worship music, has been trying to break down a classical popular hierarchy. Um, mm. This is something we see so often in academic circles, in any circle where music is present. Um, this is kind of classical is best mindset. Mm. Uh, and I think Mennonites are not exempt from this. We have this no. kind of four-part <laughs> harmony best. We are four-part singers. Yeah. Um, that's the kind of the true Mennonite song. Um, <laughs> and and with Voices Together, we wanted to break that down and include yeah. a whole range of popular idioms, um, including contemporary worship music, gospel, jazz, camp songs, um, folk music, etc. And mm-hmm. so being able to say like, yes, we sing four-part harmony and it's beautiful, but we also sing um, songs in many languages and we also sing contemporary worship music and etc etc um, and so that's been a, a really exciting intersection with my other work and I think that's kind of a thread that goes throughout that was really kind of started for me with voices together around just thinking about who's who are we claiming to be the kind of authoritative musical voice and is that yeah. accurate and is that fair uh, and and likely we need to be more expansive. We all need to be more expansive about that. I mean, um, yeah, we look at university music departments that are so classical oriented and many popular styles then don't get the time of day. Um, and there's, there's messaging in that, that classical yeah. is music that's worth studying and popular music is a hobby. Um, yeah. And that's a similar messaging that we can see in a hymnal that doesn't include a diversity of styles is that hymnody is the, 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 kind of music that's worth studying which is also you know european um you know historically white kind of culture um and popular music styles which originate from many parts of the world and with many different you know a diversity of um of participation in terms of race and ethnicity and those things is is a hobby and that's not what we're what we're really oriented towards and so that messaging is so damaging and something that i continue to come up against um and so i'm excited that my dissertation looks at contemporary worship music as one way of kind of dismantling that hierarchy in in a very small way but it's also been a really kind of fascinating intersection with voices together um which uh, you know that whole committee really solidified that we need a diversity of, of voices and perspectives in the collection and so um that that was planted early on and I'm really grateful for that uh, mm. and so I definitely see that as as one crossover um and there are things you know kind of going on that path sometimes I wonder if we could have been even more expansive about some of the inclusions um we talked briefly at one point about including a rap and I think that would have been so cool we didn't do that <laughs> um but things like that that it would have been fun to kind of explore yeah. a little bit more um, uh, but no, in general, I mean, I, I, I think the final product is, is, is ministering to a diversity of people and that's what it was intended to do. And so just really grateful to be able to stand behind that. It shouldn't surprise us, I guess, that different people in different congregations would have different preferences, but, um, it was enlightening for me to learn that, you know, even in the same geographic area, looking at 
two churches with similar theological preferences and similar cultural backgrounds and identities that they would sing different song, different selections from the hymnal on a Sunday morning and, uh, and to try and have this new project be more um, aware of that diversity, I think it's just really powerful and says a lot about the intentionality and the posture that you all uh, had when, when exploring this. Um, it strikes me too, as, as someone who has, done some worship planning with this new uh, volume um, that while it feels familiar in its size and shape and, and page numbering and things like that, uh, it also is put together um, with the inclusion of art, with the inclusion of uh, different kinds of resources than perhaps what we expect from a hymnal project. Um, it's, it's also got this incredible, expansive uh, amount of resources, one of which you referenced is this uh, explanation of why um, music from an abuser, from a known abuser was taken out. Uh, it really seems like even though there was this commitment to creating a hymnal, uh, like there was a really strong effort to make it much more than just a book. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that exactly. That's exactly it. I mean, hymnal, you're right, has so many connotations. People don't expect to find visual art. They don't expect yeah. to find contemporary worship music. Um, and there's there's just a wealth of resources at the back of the book in the worship resources section um, that are so, so gorgeous um, and speak to a whole range of circumstances and events and um, I was a little bit involved with ones for um, things like community crisis and prayer for a healthcare community and just some of these things that we don't necessarily expect are mm. in a hymnal, but they are and such yeah. a gift to have that. Um, and so, yeah, there's, there's just so much to unpack. And I think even myself, I'm still discovering some of the things that are in voices together. And I hope that communities will take the time to do a little scavenger hunt in the hymnal and find something that they didn't expect to see, or they didn't know was in there. Cause there, there really is so much to uncover. Before we begin, uh, you talked just a little bit about a new project that you have on the horizon, um, a children's book. And can you tell us just a little bit about that project and what's gone into it? Yeah, my my first picture book, The ABCs of Women in Music, um, it's going to be it's available for pre-order now and it's going to be in all your major booksellers on May 1st. Uh, it's it walks through 26 women who um, either presently or in the past have been involved in music. Um, so ranging from Beyonce to Clara Schumann um, to Alexina Louis, a Canadian composer, to um, Valerie Capers, who's a really brilliant jazz educator. Um, Lizzo is in there and um, just a whole a whole range of women um, and their contributions. And so it's meant for kids kind of ages five to eight, roughly, um, and it goes through um, introducing them to these 26 women. And one of the things that, again, I, I mentioned earlier is this breakdown of kind of classical popular hierarchy. And that's something yeah. that's really, really intentional about in the book, like putting Beyonce and Clara Schumann on facing pages was a very intentional move in order to just minimize any kind of hierarchy that we have. You know, there's resources, few, like we have a lot of work to do around women in music, but there are a few resources around women in classical music. And there's more, but not tons of around women in popular music, but they still tend to be pretty divided. And I know mm. for myself as a kid who took 
piano lessons and did all of the kind of conservatory education, but loved listening to popular music, having yeah. the resources that broke down that divide would have been really valuable. Um, mm. Just to show me that, that women in music are women in music and there's not one kind of more um, that should be more elevated than another. And so I hope that it's helpful for um, girls who are, you know, love music and don't know what a, a career in music would look like to be, you know, to see what women have done historically and are doing today. Um, they could be a DJ or they could be a, you know, pop star or whatever it would be. Um, and it's, it's also got less than half of the women in it are white women and there's disabled women in it and a whole um, range of diversity in that regard too, which is just so important in, in education right now, as we know. Uh, and so I hope it's, Hope it's a valuable resource for kids and also anyone who reads it, I imagine, will learn something new. Uh, and so um, hopefully it, it helps teach people about women in music and, and just elevate the voices that have long been um, kind of not talked about or um, forgotten in some cases. And a fun little Voices Together crossover is that it includes Hildegard von Bingen and Cassia, who are both women um, from hundreds of years ago who have tuned uh, songs in Voices Together that we've kind of revamped for Voices Together. And H is for Hildegard von Bingen and K is for Cassia. And so that's kind of a fun little connection too. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I, uh, in another podcasting uh, life co-host a podcast with a good friend of mine where we are uh, reviewing all the albums on Rolling Stone magazine's uh, list of the greatest albums of all time. Um, they recently republished that in 2020 with an effort to do something similar to make sure that uh, a more diverse uh, list of albums was included. And that means more albums by women. And um, we felt this, you know, even looking at the older lists, but uh, if you only listen in a vacuum, you don't really realize what music is building on. And especially uh, powerful female artists, um, if you don't know what came before or came after, you're sort of missing so much more of the picture of what it can uh, be. And um, oh, I, I'm excited uh, as uh, kids of a uh, music podcaster, I need to have this book on my shelf <laughs> and, uh, and make sure that they are that they are reading and aware of, uh, of, of how music has been built over, oh, over time. That's awesome. I hope they love it. <laughs> The book is incredible, at least the little glimmers that I get online, uh, beautifully illustrated, and I'm excited to to have a copy in our home. Um, Annalie, for those who are um, really inspired by the work that you're doing, where can people follow along with, uh, with what you're involved with? I love meeting new friends on Twitter and Instagram. Those are both platforms that I, I share on. Um, if you're interested in kind of the worship music, Voices Together, contemporary worship music, uh, sphere of my work that's especially on Twitter um, at Annalie Leptisen. and if you're interested in learning more about the music picture book I just have a new Instagram for that Annalie LT author uh, um, on Instagram and you can follow along there for updates on the book and just general updates on women in music and some of my favorite picture books on women in music so those are kind of two places um, to connect on. And I love, I love meeting new folks there. So definitely introduce yourself. Um, and, uh, we can chat more. Thank you so much for being with us here today on Inc. Podcast. It's been a pleasure and, um, thank you so much for all that you have given us. Thank you so much for having me. This has been great. This year, the season of Lent corresponds with Women's History Month. 
Next week on Ing Podcast, we sit down with Betty Priest, author of The Space Between Us, Conversations About Transforming Conflict. I, I have found it helpful to differentiate between outcome hope and existential hope, or what is sometimes called mystical hope. Um, and outcome hope is, I need tomorrow to be this way. And a more existential hope is, I can be in the world that I'm in right now, and I can find moments of beauty and wonder and joy in this very moment, even as the external context is not at peace. As always, we'd like to thank our guests and all who support Ing Podcast. Thank you for joining us on the journey. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review in your favorite podcasting app. And if you have something to share, send us a message at theing at menomedia.org or by leaving us a voicemail. Ing Podcast is hosted by Reverend Allison Moss and Reverend Dr. Dennis Edwards and produced by me, Ben Weidman. Views and opinions expressed on Ing Podcast are those of our hosts and guests and may not represent that of Leader Magazine or Menno Media. Ing Podcast is a production of Menno Media, a nonprofit publisher that creates thoughtful Anabaptist resources to enrich faith in a complex world. To find out more, visit us online at menomedia.org.